to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. A reading from the second book of Timothy, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Louise and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Thanks be to God. Lines in the Coliseum, screams of laughter. 
Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you and in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The second or third week of October is traditionally the time that the Nobel Peace Prize is announced. The winner for this year, 2020, in this time of global need for peace and inspiration is the World Food Program for efforts to combat hunger, for its contribution to bettering conditions for peace in conflict-affected areas, and for acting as a driving force in efforts to prevent the use of hunger as a weapon of war and conflict. May this award inspire us and remind us of the words of Jesus who said, when responding to the question, who is my neighbor? I was hungry and you gave me food. Whenever you do this to the least of these, you do it unto me. The announcing of the Nobel Peace Prize always takes me back to 1992, which was my first year in seminary. I met my wife, Elizabeth, then, and one of the first things I learned about her was that she had done a first master's degree in political science focused on women in the church in Guatemala before coming to seminary. Her heart was with the people of Guatemala, especially the indigenous women. I hoped that a piece of her heart would be with me, too. I remember how elated she was the day when the Nobel Peace Prize was announced in 1992, and an indigenous woman from Guatemala, Rigoberta Minchu Tam, had won, 
In recognition of her work for social justice and ethno-cultural reconciliation, based on the respect of the rights of indigenous persons. Elizabeth told me that at a conference the year before when Manchu was speaking, she had the honor and joy of dancing with her at one of the receptions. The story of indigenous persons in Guatemala is a proud yet painful one. Their land taken and their religion subverted when colonized by Spain in the 1500s, they were pushed to the lowest rung of society. The Spanish brought with them a racial ethnic hierarchy that positioned whiteness and European background at the top and darkness and indigenous background at the bottom. The colorism and bias fueled by greed that was instilled in the Guatemalan population created huge wealth disparities in the country that still exist today. Indigenous persons were pushed off the best and most useful land, their land, and into the remote highlands where they faced significant poverty. In 1944, a coalition of students, labor unions, and activists across the country ousted the dictator ruling Guatemala. And for 10 years, Guatemala enjoyed a new democracy and the beginning of reforms which gave particular attention to returning land to indigenous persons. This Guatemalan spring, as it was known, ended in 1954 with a coup orchestrated by the United States. Following the coup, hundreds of indigenous leaders were killed and indigenous communities terrorized. The resulting armed resistance led to civil war in Guatemala. It was into this context that Rigoberta Menchu of Quiche Mayan descent was born in 1959. In 1982, she told her story to a Venezuelan anthropologist who published the widely read book, Me llamo Rigoberta Menchu y así me nació la conciencia, or I, Rigoberta Menchu, as it is known in English. In it, Menchu tells of her early years of advocating for the rights of indigenous farmers with her father and mother, who were part of the resistance. Her father was a catechist for the Catholic Church, which in United Methodist terms is kind of like a lay preacher. All of this was happening, all of this foment and, and conflict in Guatemala was happening simultaneously with the hugely significant event in the church of Vatican II. Among many reforms, Vatican II, as you may know, allowed the Bible to be read in the local language of the people and encouraged discussion of the Bible as it was appropriate to the context. After the coup, local priests responded both to the oppression they were witnessing and to this new openness to Bible study. But each village or rural grouping of persons did not have a priest, and that's where the catechist came in, to guide the spiritual life of a community. Following in her father's footsteps, Rigoberta became a catechist. Now, this was unusual. Women were not 
seen as leaders in the communities and especially in the Catholic Church. But for Rigoberta, this was a calling. And she said, studying the Bible also helped to change the image we had as Catholics and Christians that that God is up there and that God has a great kingdom for we the poor, yet never thinking of our own reality as reality that we were actually living. We began looking for texts which represented each one of us. We tried to relate them to our Indian culture. This gave us a vision, a stronger idea of how we Christians must defend ourselves. We began studying more deeply and well, and we came to a conclusion that being a Christian means thinking of our siblings around us and that every one of our Indian race has the right to eat. This reflects what God, God's self said, that on earth we have a right to what we need. The Bible was our principal text for study as Christians and it showed us what the role of a Christian is. We said enough to so much suffering and pain, and we organized small cooperatives and based Christian communities. In the book of her testimony, Minchu tells that when she had just turned 20, her mother and brother were kidnapped by the army, tortured and killed. Her father was a part of a group of guerrillas who occupied the Spanish embassy, dying when the embassy was set on fire by government forces. Minchu's powerful call for the rights and dignity of indigenous persons and her courage in telling the truth about the atrocities that had happened to her and others paved the way for attention to indigenous rights globally and ultimately for a verdict that Mayan people had had a genocide perpetrated against them. In the course of Guatemala's dirty war, as it was known, hundreds of thousands of persons were disappeared, an estimated 200,000 Mayan indigenous persons were killed, including half of Minchu's family. And then, Six years after the publication of the book, I, Rigoberta Menchu, a U.S. anthropologist challenged the factual nature of Menchu's testimony, saying that it was her older brother, not her younger brother, who had died, that the land dispute of her family was with their in-laws and not the Latino elites. Menchu responded that her testimony was not just her testimony, but also the testimony of the Guatemalan people. In Latin America, the tradition of testimonio, which blends autobiographical testimony with the testimony of a community, is well established. It is countercultural to the expectations in the U.S. based on this idea of testimony as a verifiable fact and record, such as the testimony that's now uh, being given that just completed um, by Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. Testimonio follows the same tradition that lesbian African-American poet and writer Audre Lorde offered to us in her seminal book about her life, Zami, 
a new spelling of my name. Lord calls Zami, her book about her life, a biomythography. And Lord's telling of her own story combines the details of her biography, the movements in history, and placed herself in the currents of the community of Afro-Caribbeans and lesbian women to which she belonged. Indeed, at the beginning of the book, Rigoberta Minchu, Minchu says this, My name is Rigoberta Minchu. I am 23 years old. This is my testimony. I didn't learn it from a book and I didn't learn it alone. I'd like to stress that it's not only my life, it's also the testimony of my people. The important thing is that what has happened to me has happened to many other people too. My story is the story of all poor Guatemalans. My personal experience is the reality of a whole people. To tell one's story and connect it to the movements of history takes courage. For women, the poor, those who are marginalized, there is much pressure not to tell one's story. Accounts of pain and suffering as a result of poverty and unequal power challenges the wealthy and the elites and those who have power. But to tell one's story in the context of a community, as part of a community, is to place oneself as a subject with agency. To claim presence in history in this way is the most courageous act of all. To say this is not just my single story, but my story is a thread in the fabric of life and my existence has meaning, is to honor God's vision for each of us. Our scripture for today comes from 2 Timothy, in which Paul is writing to the younger Timothy, urging him to claim his God-given agency, his part in the story of history. Hear these words again. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed, then, of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Interestingly, Paul prefaces his words to Timothy by reminding him of his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. It's as if Paul is saying, your grandmother and your mother were women with much less status than you, a man, and in a movement much newer and less established than the movement you now move in. If they can speak and act with courage, so can you. 
Like Mary McLeod Bethune, who we talked about last week, Rigoberta Minchu has not been canonized. She is not officially a saint of the Catholic Church. Some might say that due to the controversy surrounding the testimony of her life, she does not deserve to be revered. But what is the purpose of a saint? To revere a person who is perfect or to show us that ordinary humans, though not perfect, can do extraordinary things. The truth is, of course, that no one is perfect. But does the fact that no one is perfect mean that we should not have saints or heroes? In the base Christian communities in Guatemala, as the people experienced the gospel for the first time in their own language, they understood that God is a God of history. From the time of the flood that Noah and his family endured and God made a new covenant with them to the exodus from Egypt when God called the people out of slavery and into freedom to the birth of a baby in a manger. God is working God's purpose out in history, calling all persons to walk in God's way and in relationship with God. Does this mean that it is part of God's purpose for these kinds of atrocities and sufferings that happened in Guatemala to happen? No, of course not. It means that God intervenes in history, influencing us towards wholeness and justice and the peace of heaven on earth. Indeed, this is the meaning of the Incarnation. It is in the flow of history that each person in our uniqueness finds the blessing of our giftedness that God needs to work out God's purpose. For Minchu, it was the way of courage. May the way of courage be our way, too. And may we, too, imperfect as we are, have courage to give testimony that we are part of the story of liberation and transformation of the God of history. And may that story inspire others as the saints inspire us. Amen.
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online Connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Walk his way.